Good morning, church. Go ahead and stay standing for the reading of God's word. Today we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. Our ushers are walking down the aisle right now. If you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand, and they'll be more than happy to give you one. And if you don't have a Bible at home, please take one today. It is our gift to you. If you have one of the Bibles, we're going to be on page 920, 920. Follow along. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you today. We just thank you for bringing our two church bodies together, Father, and that uh, we would do all things possible to glorify you and to glorify everything in your name throughout the val uh, Northern Valley here. We just pray for Pastor Mike as he preaches from your word today and that the Holy Spirit would depend, uh, excuse me, descend upon us as two bodies of believer uh, to become one. Keep us safe, keep us blessed. All these things in your name we pray. Amen. 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 All right. Well, good morning. You can have a seat. Uh, it's great to have you here this morning. My name is Mike Lee, and I, uh, I get to be the one up here preaching today to this combined gathering of Northern Hills and Mission Valley Church, and I'm so uh, excited to be here. If I've never met you before, I'd love to do that. Uh, so a couple of ways that we can do that. Uh, the first is this. I'm going to be standing out uh, in the, the courtyard out there afterwards. Love to shake your hand, fist bump, whatever you're into. Uh, another way that we can meet is you could fill out one of those Connect cards uh, that we talked about at the beginning of service. And then finally, uh, if you want, you can always get a hold of me on my cell phone, 602-763-3331. Uh, love to meet you like that. So today we are in uh, the final week of a series that we're calling Practical Christianity. And it's been really fun to preach through this series together. Uh, chapter 3, 4, 5, and 6, just the, the, the second half of this book, we've been preaching together. Uh, Nate started off the, the family at Northern Hills in this a couple of weeks before we got here, and, and we've been doing this together. And so we've spent these, these last four weeks just looking, uh, these, just looking at this letter from Paul to the church at Ephesus. This is a letter where Paul is giving some practical instructions on what it is to follow Jesus. And we've said this before, and we want to make sure that we keep saying it so we don't get confused. This is not if you can live like this, if you can live well enough, if you can follow these things, if you can do this really well, then God will love you, choose you, and save you. It's not that. It is God has chosen you, God has saved you, God loves you, and because of that, you can go ahead and live like this. And so in this series, we've been seeing that living like those who have been saved by Jesus looks a lot like walking in unity. It looks just like walking in unity, just being together on things. It looks a lot like putting off the old self and putting on the new self. Scripture tells us that when we believe in Jesus, when, when God saves us and we're able to believe in Jesus, that the old us is put away and the new us comes on. And so it looks like that. It looks like living with Christ-like characteristics, that we would start to look more and more and more like Jesus every day and less and less and less like the world every day. And it looks like submitting to others in love. That's what it looks like. That's what we've been studying, this, this idea of practical Christianity. And today, Paul's going to wrap up this letter with a strong warning and encouragement that was good for the church at Ephesus and is also good for the church gathered in this room today. But before we get into Paul's letter, I just want to start with a story. Um, this is a real story, not a preacher's story. Uh, sometimes, that's, a, that's true, yeah, sometimes preachers, we make up stories, but this one really happened. And so, this, this for real, this one happened. So, 
Here's a little story I start out with. The year was 1992. Uh, somebody want to drop a beat? No, I was just kidding. Uh, the year was 1992, and I was in seventh grade, uh, and I was going through a weird phase where I was listening to a lot of gangsta rap. Like a lot of, I, that's what I was into at the time. I know it's hard to believe. It just doesn't seem like me, but I was into it. Uh, I, I had seen uh, the movie Boys in the Hood, and then I started listening to some Dr. Dre and Ice Cube and all that kind of stuff. And so I was listening to that kind of music, and because those guys all wear fitted black white socks hats, I wanted one too. Uh, maybe some of you had one of these. And so I wanted one of these hats. And so uh, I went out and I got one of these hats and I was wearing it to school and I had it for two weeks and it was really cool. And then it got stolen. It got stolen by this kid named Caesar. And I knew Caesar stole my hat because I was the only kid in the whole school that had one of these fitted white socks hats. And I was super pumped about it. And then all of a sudden Caesar had one. And I knew that Caesar stole my hat. And I was really upset about this because not only did I buy this hat, but I actually bought it with my own money that I got from selling my Bo Jackson rookie baseball card, which was stupid. I really wish I wouldn't have done that. I would have much rather had the baseball card now, but I sold it and I bought this dumb hat. Anyways, I decided that I should probably just go up up to Caesar and explain to him that he had inadvertently taken my hat and I would just like to have it back. And that seemed like a pretty good idea to me. Like, just, I'll just do that. And so I walked up to Caesar at lunch and I said, hey, I think you took my hat. And Caesar said, well, it's my hat now, so what you going to do about it? Now, I just want to give some context here, a little context for the story, just a little detail. Junior high is an odd time for fellas. You guys, you understand this. Uh, for fellas, it's an odd time. And as it turns out that, that by seventh grade, I hadn't hit my growth spurt yet. So I was still pretty small and gangly-like. And Caesar had hit his growth spurt. He was in eighth grade, and Caesar had a full mustache that right now, if my life depended on it, I still couldn't grow. So Caesar was a big old dude, and I was was kind of a small dude. And I said to Caesar, when he said this, he says, what are you going to do about it? I said, Caesar, I don't want any trouble. I just want my hat back. Now here's some free advice. This is just free advice for you. That phrase never works. When you say to somebody, I don't want any trouble, I just want my hat back, that never works because the guy that's looking to give you trouble doesn't care if you want it or not. But I said, Caesar, I don't want any trouble. So I just want my hat back. And Caesar said, well, you got trouble now. And he put his hands up. And so then I said, I don't want to fight you. More free advice. That phrase never works either. Because the guy that wants to fight you doesn't care if you want to fight or not. And so Caesar started hitting me. Uh, he punched me once, and then he punched me twice, and then he punched me the third time. And by the third time, I'm a little slow on the uptake, but by the third time, I realized I was in fact in a fight. And I didn't want to be in a fight at all, but it turns out I was in one. I was right in the middle of a fight. Caesar was pummeling me about the head, and I was, it was happening. I was, in fact, in this fight. And I got a question to just start the morning with. I just want to ask you, Christian, do you realize you're in a fight too? Christian, do you realize that you're in a fight, that you are in a battle, that you are actually in a fight? Because whether you realize it or not, whether you want to be or not, whether you've asked for it or not, you are in a fight. This is what it says in 1 Peter 5, 8. It says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. This is what's going on right now. This is what's happening in our world right now. The devil is out there and he's real and he is engaged in a battle with you. He is fighting you right now, whether you want to be in the fight or not. He is prowling around like a roaring lion looking to devour you and to devour your family and to devour those that you care about. And I promise you this, if while we were sitting here in church this morning, it, it just turned out that somebody had let a lion loose in this neighborhood, y'all would walk to the car with caution. You'd walk to the car with caution, probably walking around with big people around to help you. 
You know, just the idea, if a lion starts chasing you, you don't have to be faster than the lion, just faster than the slowest person in your party. Like, that's what you would all do. But you would be cautious. And the Bible tells us that the devil is out there and he's looking to hurt us. He's out there and he's looking to hurt you. And I want you to know this this morning, church, the devil really only runs two plays. Like he's got two things that he does. He's got two, two strategies that he uses. It's really two plays. The first play is that he wants to keep people from becoming Christians. That's the first thing the devil wants to do. If you've not become a Christian yet, the devil is trying to keep you from becoming a Christian. And he does this by attacking the truth of the gospel. It sounds like, hey, you don't, you don't, you don't, you don't know all the horrible things that you've done, and, and, and I do, and, and nobody could ever love you. It sounds like lies, like nobody could love you that much, especially Jesus. It sounds like those people up at that church, they don't want you there. It sounds like there's no way someone like you could ever become a Christian. It sounds a lot like you'll never be enough. This, this devil that's just attacking people that haven't yet believed, trying to keep them from believing. And once they believe, once you become a Christian, the devil runs his only other play on you, and that is to try to make your testimony look so weak that nobody else would ever want to know about Jesus from you. He attacks you in every way, shape, or form. It looks like addictions and turmoil and lack of unity. It looks like him saying, you don't need to live on mission anymore. You've done enough. It looks like all these things. It looks like Satan just trying to make sure that those who are Christians live so unlike Jesus and so distracted from the mission that nobody would ever come to know Jesus through them. And the truly alarming thing is that Satan is running these plays 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. This is what he's doing. And all too often, Christians are losing this battle because they don't even realize they're in it. In the same way that by punch two, I didn't realize I was in a fight. Sometimes we're getting beat up by Satan and we don't even recognize it's going on. And so Paul is going to end this letter today with strong encouragement that summed up is simply this, Christian, stay battle ready. If you're a Christian, you need to stay battle ready. You need to be engaged in what's actually happening. And so we're going to examine five key ideas from this text. And if you like to take notes, I would encourage you to do so and then put those notes somewhere where you can see them. I don't know that it does us a lot of good to take notes and just kind of put them away in a file somewhere. If you're going to take notes this morning about these five ways to stay ready for the battle, place them somewhere where you could see them this week. The first idea is this. I want us to understand that the enemy is always engaged in battle. The enemy is always engaged. He doesn't take days off. This is important because we shouldn't be taking days off either. This is what it says in Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I love this encouragement in verse 10, that our strength comes from the Lord. That is where we get the strength to even be in this battle. Don't fall into the trap of thinking that you are on your own against the devil or that you could even have a chance to stand against him. The battle literally belongs to the Lord, but recognize that the devil is in this. He is scheming. He's scheming about ways to hurt you. He's scheming about ways to hurt people that you care about. He's scheming, and he is a liar who lies. That is what he does. He tells you all sorts of lies. And most of them revolve around this idea of you not being enough, not smart enough, not, not thin enough, not tall enough, not attractive enough, not, not enough. You don't have enough. You'll never be enough. The devil is a liar who lies and he'll whisper lies to you. 
He'll just lie to you. He'll lie to you. He'll lie to people you care about. He'll attack you and he'll use any means necessary to try to make you feel far from Jesus. What the devil really wants for a Christian is to feel like you're alone, like you're off on some island somewhere, like you're away from the body of believers and you're separated from Jesus. That's what he wants you to feel like. We know as Christians that before Jesus saved us, we were separated from him. And Satan wants us to feel back in that separated place. And he'll use all types of means to attack us to make us feel that way. He'll use drugs or pornography or gossip or slander or division, anything he can think of that'll make us feel far from God. He'll take good gifts given to us by God and distort them and make them look bad and make them look appealing in ways that God didn't design us to use them. And he will try to convince you and your kids and your spouse of his lies. Satan is a liar who lies and schemes, and he tries to make Christians feel guilt and shame and separation. And he's always working on it. He's always working on it. He's just hammering on it all the time, every day, always scheming, always threatening to steal, kill, and destroy. Church, I want you to know that there's power in recognizing this. There's power in recognizing this and calling it out. There's power in saying, I see what's happening right now. I see what's happening. I feel the attack. I know it's coming. Jesus, I feel this attack. Can you help me in this situation? God, I'm feeling this is happening. There's power in recognizing it. Hey, what's happening right now to me is not something that's happening of the world. What's happening to me right now is something that is happening because of what Satan is doing. And I can feel it and I can see it and I'm calling it out. I'm calling it out and I'm going to call upon the name of the Lord. Hey, God, I need you to handle this. There's power in that. We need to recognize that this is going on. Don't just stand there and get punched in the face 15 times. Recognize what's happening. Church, remember that the devil is engaged in battle, and so must you be. And this would be scary. And if the sermon ended right here, we wouldn't have much reason to sing. It would be kind of a depressing way to end the day. Like, wow, Satan's just punching us all day. That's horrible. Here's good news for us. God provides everything you need for the battle. God provides every single thing you need for the battle that you're in. This is what it says in Ephesians 6.13. It says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm, to stand firm. I love this verse because it makes it clear that it is the whole armor of God that helps us withstand and that God himself provides it. It's not our ability, not our strength, not our craftiness, not our intelligence, not even our perseverance that will help us take our stand against the devil. It is what God is providing. It's kind of like in spite of us, we can still stand firm and it's because of Jesus that we can. And this call, make no mistake, the call is to stand firm. The text is literally telling us that it's not just that we as a collective group of believers will stand together, although we get to do that too. It's saying that as individuals, as regular people, as believers in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, you will need to take your stand and stand firm against Satan's attempts at you. One of the first people that I met here at Northern Hills, and I kind of hit it off with, uh, one of the first people I met here was uh, a kid. His name's Caleb. He's this really cool guy. Um, and uh, we, we were at VBS together one night, and it was back in October. And I just started talking to him about football. Turns out he's a big-time football player, and I played a little football too. He's probably a lot better than me. But uh, we were just talking. I was talking to Caleb, and he told me he's a football player. And I jokingly asked him, I said, hey, Caleb, you want to do Oklahoma drill with me? And he goes, yeah. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. All right, well, hold on a second. 
Because if you don't know what Oklahoma drill is, this is what happens. You get two, two guys, they get about 10 yards apart, and they lay down on the ground uh, on their backs. And then when the coach blows a whistle, you jump up and you run into each other as fast as you can. And Caleb was really eager to do this. He says, yeah, let's go. And this is what you don't know if you don't know who Caleb is. I got about 115 pounds on Caleb, but he sure was anxious to hit me. And to be honest, it kind of scared me a little bit. Because I was like, well, maybe he knows something I don't know. Maybe he's going to know something about centrifugal force and low centers of gravity. Because I feel like I should be able to take him, but he's awful. And like awful excited to run at me and hit me. And so I made up an excuse and I said, you know, Caleb, we probably shouldn't do it here at VBS because we don't want to get the other kids riled up. So I kind of ducked that one. And then I saw him last week after service and I jokingly asked him again. I said, hey, kid, you want to do Oklahoma drill? And he goes, yeah, let's go. And I was like, dang, man, this kid's really fired up to just, just knock me down. I don't know what his problem is. But then his sister like, kind of let me off the hook. She said, well, he just came off a concussion. And I was like, oh, Caleb, I don't want to do any more damage, man. Better, better let that, that brain heal up a little bit. Because I just don't really want to face this kid because he seems to know something that I don't know. But at some point, I am sure that I'm going to actually have to do this drill with him. And I ought to do it sooner rather than later because he's probably just getting bigger by the second. But when I do, I'm going to stand firm. I mean, I'm going to get down firm. I'm not going to give anything up to this kid because he's just too fired up. And that's the way we need to stand firm, getting ready for this battle that's coming to us. We can't be passively walking around like we're not engaged in a battle. If you knew that you're going to be engaged in a battle, you'd stand firm. You'd get your feet planted firmly in the ground. You'd get yourself ready in battle position. That's what we're supposed to do. That's what we're supposed to do. And we can know that God is going to provide everything we need to do it. So, Christian, Put on the full armor of God. Put on the full armor of God. This is so great. God's going to give us all the tools that we're going to need to fight this battle. He's going to give us all the tools that we need in him to fight this battle. He's going to give it all to us. And Paul's going to identify six pieces of the full armor of God. Paul recognizes that the people that he's writing to would have been familiar with what armor looked like. They would have seen Roman soldiers in armor. And so he's going to use this as an analogy for the next couple of verses to just talk to us about this. But he talks about these different pieces of the full armor of God. The first is the belt of truth. It's a belt of truth. Ephesians 6.14 says, Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. He wants that, that truth fastened around us, securely around us, so that it's always around us. When being attacked by a liar who lies, it is imperative that Christians wrap themselves up in the truth that comes from God. When we're just getting attacked all day long, all day long, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, from a liar who lies, it is imperative that we wrap the truth around ourselves, that we recognize God's word. This means speaking truth into the lies that we see in the world. Y'all know that the world lies to us, right? The world's constantly trying to lie to us. There's so many lies being told in the world right now, and Christians have a responsibility to see those lies and apply biblical truths to them. Just watch the news for five or ten minutes. Watch Twitter or scroll through Twitter for five seconds and you'll see all sorts of lies. And as Christians saved by Jesus, we need to apply truth to those lies. We need to recognize the lies that we see in the world and say, that's not true. I don't know what that thing is that you're talking about, but that's not true. What's true is what God's word tells me. We need to apply those truths to, to, to the lies that we see in the world. And it also means speaking truth into the lies that we start to believe about ourselves. Christians, you and I are not immune to starting to believe lies about ourselves. We're not immune to starting to believe lies about ourselves. We'll start to tell ourselves lies about ourselves, lies that say we can't, lies that say we're a mess, lies that say we'll never get it together, lies that say we're not enough or, 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 or something's wrong with us, 
Lies that'll say that we could never be loved, that we can never be cared for, when in fact we are so worth it that Jesus literally came down here from heaven to live a perfect life and die a horrific death for us. That's who we are. And we need to remember that and we need to apply those truths. We need to remember that the truest thing about ourselves is what God says about us, not what the world says about us. The truest thing about us is what God says about us, not what people in our lives even say about us. We need to apply these truths. We need to wrap ourselves up, be wrapped up in this belt of truth. We also need to have the breastplate of righteousness. Ephesians 6.14 says, And having put on the breastplate of righteousness, that we would have this. This breastplate of a Roman soldier would have protected his most vital organs. This is where the breastplate would have been when he's engaged in battle. He's got this, this, this breastplate on and it's protecting these vital organs. And we need God's righteousness to protect us in the same way. We need God's righteousness to literally guard our hearts. We, we, t- we talk about this like kind of a Christianese word and we say, hey, guard your hearts. We need God's righteousness to guard our hearts. We need God's righteousness to protect our hearts because a man's heart wants stuff that a man shouldn't have and the devil knows it and he tries to entice us into it. Our hearts are, when people say, hey, I'm just going to follow my heart, I'm just going to go out and follow my heart, my response to that is always like, oh, that's bad medicine, bro. Don't do that. Don't be out following your heart because your, your heart will tell you that you want things that are not good for you. Your heart will tell you that you want things that are not beneficial to you. And Satan knows that, and so he comes after our heart, and we need that breastplate of righteousness around us as he's trying to entice us. The big three enticements that Satan will come at us with all the time are money, sex, and power. And the devil will try to convince us that we can have those things outside of God's plan. He'll entice our hearts by just saying, hey, look at this. Doesn't this look good? Look at all this money. You could have more money if you would just lie, cheat, and steal to get it. Look at all this money you could have if you would just withhold it from those that need it. Look at all this money that you could have if you would just take what doesn't belong to yours. The devil will try to say stuff like, hey, look at this, sex, you can have it wherever you want. You can have it outside of marriage, you can watch pornography, you can do whatever you want. Forget what God's word says, just do whatever you like. The devil will say, hey, you want some power? You can have it, you can exercise it over people. You can take advantage of them, you can push them around, you can bully them, you can do what you want. The devil will say that you can have all of these things. But we need to remember that God has a perfect plan and a perfect design for all these things. And even though the devil will try to entice us into perverting those good and perfect gifts from God, we need to recognize that and be so wrapped up in God's righteousness that it doesn't even look good to us. As we start to look more and more like Jesus and less and less like the world, the temptations of the world won't even look good to us anymore. They won't look appealing to us anymore. We'll literally pray, God, take this temptation away from me. This is not good for me. I know you have a better plan for me than that. He talks about putting on the shoes of the gospel. The shoes of the gospel. Ephesians 6.15 says, And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. The readiness of the gospel is critical for a Christian. You see, the gospel is not something that you believe once. It is something that you need to believe and apply every single day of your life. You'll need it multiple times every single day. You'll need to believe and apply the gospel over and over and over again. You'll need to remember the gospel when you are wronged and you need to forgive someone. You'll need to remember the gospel when you wrong somebody and need to ask for forgiveness. And as Christians, we never outgrow our need for the gospel, which is why we share it every time we gather together. 
You'll never outgrow your need for this. As Christians, we should have the gospel ready at all times, ready to apply it, ready to share it, ready to believe it. Ready to apply it, ready to share it, ready to believe it. Ready just to believe true things about the, uh, about Jesus, ready to uh, just apply the gospel. And in the same way that you would never go into battle without your shoes on, you'd never go into battle without the gospel. Think about how silly it would be to be a Roman soldier and go out and face somebody in battle and just forget to put anything on your feet. Like you're going to step on rocks. It's going to be hard. It's going to be hard to go anywhere. It's going to be difficult. If you had to go out in any kind of a battle, any kind of a fight tomorrow, you'd want to have some shoes on. It'd be silly not to have shoes on. It's that critical. We need to have the gospel like that. It needs to constantly be ready ready to take us where we need to go, ready to do what it needs to do. We also need a shield of faith. Ephesians 6.16 says, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. During this time period, Roman soldiers would often wrap their shields in leather and then soak that leather in water before a battle so that when the enemy would shoot flaming arrows at them, it would extinguish this is something they would do. They would just take their shields, they'd wrap it up in leather, and then they would soak that so that it was good and wet so that when these flaming arrows in, in a battle would come flying at them, it would, it would extinguish it. We need to take up a shield of faith like that. Make no mistake, the evil one is launching arrows at you and your family every single day. He's launching flaming arrows at you every single day, saying things like, you're not good enough, or you need this, or you need that, or believe this lie. I mean, if you think about it, he's been doing this since the very, very beginning of recorded time. He literally did it to Adam and Eve in the garden. He just shot arrows at them. Hey, eat this apple. Hey, eat this apple. Hey, eat this apple. Fruit, whatever it was. He says, surely you won't die. Surely you won't die. Surely you won't die. God doesn't want you to be like him. God doesn't want you to be like him, but you could be like him. You could be like him. And what they needed in that moment, what you and I need every day, is a shield up that would say, hey, no, I'm not even going to listen to that. There's nowhere for this lie to land here. There's nowhere for this lie to penetrate me here in any way, shape, or form. I'm just not going to believe anything about this. You need that shield of faith. We also need to take up the helmet of salvation. Ephesians 6.17 says this, and take the helmet of salvation. As Christians, we want to live under the fact that we're saved. We want to live under that fact. We want it to be the truest thing about you. What is the truest thing about you? I'm a child of God, saved by grace and grace alone. That is who I am. It's the, the most important thing about you. Well, well, you know, what do you do for a living? Well, forget that. Who cares? Like, I am a child of God. I'm saved by grace and grace alone. Everything about my life is going to sit underneath that. This salvation, this helmet of salvation is, is central, and I sit all of it underneath it, that we are saved people. We're saved, that we needed saved because we could not save ourselves, that we have received the gift of salvation because we couldn't earn it and we don't deserve it. This helps us both to believe true things about what Jesus did for us, and it helps us not to believe any of the lies that the devil would tell us, that we're anything less than saved. It's also super important because it helps us to remember to give grace to other people in our lives because we are as desperate for salvation as they are. We need to take up this helmet of salvation, sit firmly underneath it. And so you'll notice that all of this armor so far, as Paul is telling us to take on this full armor of God, all of this armor so far is meant to shield us, meant to protect us, and now we finally get a weapon to fight back with. 
I mean, what are we going to fight back with? We've got all this protective gear on, shields and, 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 and shoes and, and breastplates and, and, and belts. We got, we got all this stuff. We got all this defensive stuff. What do we get to fight back with? I mean, Paul, give us a, a really good weapon here. What would you give us to go out in this battle with? What is God going to provide us with that we can go out and fight against the devil with? Well, he's going to give us the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Ephesians 6, 17 says, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Take up the sword of the Spirit. Not a sword made of steel, but something much stronger. It's made of the Word of God. Literally, take God's Word with you into battle. Take God's teachings with you into, into battle. For a Christian living in this broken world with a devil who is on the prowl like a lion planning to seek, kill, and destroy us, you have to hold fast to the Word of God. You need to take this Word and you need to bury it so deep in your heart that when something comes into your heart, when something comes into your life that is contrary to this, that you would recognize it as that is not God. God's word. Whatever that thing is that other people think looks good, that's not God's word. It's not his will. It's not who he is. It's not in his spirit. I don't want that. And the whole world would be like, but it looks so good. It looks so good. And you'd be like, not to me. It doesn't because it doesn't look anything like God's word. This is your weapon. This is what you use to fight back. And as Christians, far too often, we're keeping this thing buried away somewhere, somewhere in some nightstand, somewhere, somewhere on some bookshelf. This is God's holy word left for us. Bibles should be tattered up and written in and highlighted. If you have them on your phones or on your iPads or wherever else you keep them, they should be highlighted with notes in it and bookmarks and reminders. Like, hey, I remember this day I was feeling this and I read this passage and this really helped me to, to deal with it. This is God's word and it is your weapon. When Jesus faced his temptation and the devil offers him food and power and glory, Jesus could have fought back with anything. He could have called on a legion of angels to push the devil away. But look at what Jesus did. We're going to be in Luke chapter 4, 1 through 12. I'm going to just read this real quickly like a story. This is what it says. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. Being tempted by the devil. Jesus himself being tempted by the devil. And if you don't take a clue that the, the, the devil would even attack Jesus and you think he won't attack you, you're living in some kind of fantasy world. If he's going to attack Jesus himself, he's going to come after his followers. This is what happens. Jesus is out there and it says, And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall not worship the Lord your God. Or you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him up on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Christian, let us remember that this is Jesus himself, and he is going to apply God's word when he's facing this temptation. When Jesus himself gets into a battle with the devil, he fights back, not with, a, not with angel armies, not with a legion of armies. Not like Jesus could have literally picked up a mountain and just thrown it at the devil. I mean, that would have been so cool. I, I, I wish he would have done that. I think, I think it would have been cool. I'm going to ask Jesus why he didn't do that, but he didn't do it like that. Jesus just took God's word and threw it at the devil. 
He gets all this temptation. The devil's attacking him. And Jesus just throws God's word at him. He just pummels him with God's word. He's just chucking God's word at him. It is our weapon. It is what we have in this fight. It is so good. And so we can take our stand against the devil's scheme so that when we encounter the lies of the enemy, we can counter it with the truth of the Almighty. This is why we have this word. It is our weapon in this broken world. So Christian, put on the full armor of God. Two more things. Two more things that we have in this battle. Two more encouragements from Paul today. Christian, pray for yourself and others. That's what it says in Ephesians 6.18. It says, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Christian, prayer is the work. Pray for yourself. Pray for your family. Pray for those that don't know Jesus yet. Keep alert and pray. The posture of a battle-ready Christian is a posture of prayer. It looks and sounds like, God, help me today to seek you. God, protect my family from the scheme of the evil one. God, protect my church from the devil getting a foothold in any kind of disunity. God, help me recognize lies and give me strong faith to believe truths. God, help me to open your word and bury it so deep in my heart that it literally transforms me into your image. God, help me. I alone cannot fight this battle, but you in me can defeat any enemy. It looks like prayer. Christians, if you are going to be engaged in this battle against an evil one that is always, always looking to seek, kill, and destroy you, you've got to be on your knees. You've got to be on your face. You've got to be praying, please, God, help me. Prayer is essential for the battle-ready Christian. And finally this, Christian, pray for your leaders to share with boldness. Ephesians 6, 19-20 says this, and also for me. Paul's switching it now. He's, he's encouraging them to all these things, and now he's asking for something for himself. He's asking for prayer. He says, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in change that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul ends this passage asking these people that he cares about to pray for him. He says, please pray for me. And not just pray for him to, to have something nice or, or happiness or notoriety or, or for him to have a big platform from which to speak. Paul asks them to pray for him to be bold when proclaiming the gospel. Paul recognizes that he's going to need boldness as he goes out to proclaim the gospel to those that don't believe. And so I would ask you, church, are you praying for your leaders? Are you praying for your leaders? Are you praying for your elders and your staff? I can tell you that whether it's me or anyone else standing here proclaiming the good news of the gospel, it is no small task, and the devil attacks. The devil attacks during sermon prep. The devil attacks our families. The devil attacks during the week. The devil attacks during life circumstances. He's constantly and always attacking. So part of your week as a Christian should be spent praying for boldness for your leaders. That you would pray that they would be bold to proclaim the truth, that they wouldn't cower down to the ways of the world, that they would be bold in it. That staff members would speak and lead with boldness for the gospel. That the schemes of the devil would not instare us or trip us up or make us cower down. Paul is asking the church at Ephesus to pray for him to share the gospel with boldness. And I am unashamedly asking you to pray for the leaders of this church to do the same. Christian, you've got to be praying for boldness for your leaders. Christian, you're in a battle whether you want to be or not. There's no way around that. It's happening. Just like when Caesar was punching me, it was happening. 
Maybe you say, I didn't sign up for this. Well, you're in it. But you have nothing to fear. As a matter of fact, you have fantastic reason to sing this morning because you know that you're in this battle, so you need not be caught off guard. God has provided every single thing you need to sustain you. You can put on the full armor of God to take your stand against the evil one. You can and should pray fervently for yourself, your friends, and your family. And your prayer can also be for your leaders to share with boldness. As a matter of fact, I need you to pray boldness for me right now because I'm just going to share the gospel. If you're in this room today or listening to this sermon anywhere and you're not a Christian, let me just talk to you for a second. The end of this letter is written mostly to Christians. It's written mostly to Christians. But I'm hopeful and I'm prayerful and I've been praying all week that somebody would come here today or listening in on the sermon online that is not yet a Christian. And so if that's you, if you're listening in this morning and you would say, I'm not a Christian yet, I've never believed in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, I don't even know what that means. If that's you, let me just talk to you for a second. Let me just talk to you for a second and tell you that you're in a battle too. Whether you realize it or not, you're in a battle too. And the one you're fighting wants you to feel alone in that battle, wants you to be far from belief, wants you to feel that nobody could love you enough to save you. But I want you to know this morning that that's a lie. I want to just share the gospel with you. And here it is. God made the world and it was beautiful. God made the world and it was beautiful. It worked exactly like it was supposed to. And God would walk with Adam and Eve in the garden. He would walk with them and it was perfect and it was beautiful. But then man sinned. And when man sinned, we broke the world. You can see the brokenness of this world all around. You just walk around for a half a second and you see there's brokenness. There's homelessness. There's sickness. There's disease. There's perversion. There's all kinds of troubles. There's families that are suffering. There's people that are suffering. We just see brokenness all around us, all of it caused by sin. And the very, very worst part of this brokenness, the very, very worst thing that sin does is that it separates God from his people. It separates us. It separates them. God is so perfect and so holy that he just can't be around sinners. And our sin breaks it and it makes separation. And the truth is that it's hard to imagine that it is our sin that's doing that, but God loved us so much that he would not leave us in that separated state. And so God did what only God could do. God sent Jesus Christ down here to live the perfect life that you and I never could, to die the horrific death that you and I deserve, and to defeat that death so that anyone who would believe in him could spend eternity with him, could be back together with him in community with him. That is the gospel. And if you can believe that, If you can truly hear that and say, I believe that, then I want you to know that God has already changed your heart. He's changed your heart. You simply couldn't believe that if God hadn't changed you. It would sound crazy to you. It would sound like foolishness to you. If you can believe that God has already saved you. And the devil will tell you you can't believe it. But if God has changed your heart already, we'll have no choice but to believe. And so if you can believe, if you can believe that gospel, I'm inviting you right now to believe it, to proclaim it. You could simply sit right where you're at and pray and say, God, I am a sinner and I'm sorry. I'm a sinner and I'm sorry. It's my sin that separated me from you and I, and I repent for that. I believe in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The Bible says that if we can confess that belief with our mouth and believe that in our heart that we can be saved. And so if you're not a Christian, I would ask you, can you believe today? Can you believe? And if you are a Christian, can you believe enough to be engaged in this battle? Can you put away complacency and get engaged in the battle? Can you put away the lies and get engaged in the truth? 
Can you put away worldly weapons and pick up God's Word and start burying it so deep in your, in your lives that you, that you can't find anything else but it to go to? Parents, can you wrap your kids up in this? Can you pray this over them? Can you read this to them? Can you lead them to this? Husbands, can you lead your wives with this? Can you pray this over them? Can you pray this for them? Wives, can you pray this for your husbands? That they be godly men. This is our weapon. God's given it to us. Can you believe enough to get engaged? Let's pray. God, we do thank you for your word. And we thank you for the strong encouragement that we find in Paul's letter. Lord, help us to know that though we are in a battle, the victory belongs to you. That though we are in a battle, Lord, we don't have to rely on ourselves. We can simply lean on you. And if God, if there's anybody in this room today or listening to this sermon that's never believed in you, I ask you to do what only you can do. I ask you to give them the faith to believe. God, I ask you to save those that don't believe. And God, for those that do believe, help us to be engaged this week. Help us not to listen to the schemes and lies of the evil one, but listen firmly to you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.